The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Welcome in. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote. This show also brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. So last night, I'm watching the play-in games on True TV and flipping back and forth to this Rachel Maddow big reveal of the 2005 Donald Trump tax returns, which I believe Donald Trump leaked to this woman to make her look like an idiot. One of the most insane television shows I've ever watched, laden with conspiracy theories. But as I'm sitting there flipping back and forth between uh, Rachel Maddow's insanity and the March Madness beginning of insanity for all of us who are college basketball fiends, it kind of reinforced for me for a long time something that I've been thinking about. And uh, and I'm not trying to go political here, but I am thinking to myself, why can't we make college basketball great again? If you remember what college basketball was like in 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago even, it was massive. I was a huge college basketball fan. And nowadays, all I do is really pay attention in February and March. Now I'll watch the scores otherwise but I'm not really turning my attention in college basketball until after the Super Bowl ends. And given the fact that the Super Bowl is going to take place on President's Day weekend at some point in the future, that is, the NFL is going to extend their schedule to the point where 
President's Day weekend is the final weekend of the year, and everybody gets the Monday off after the Super Bowl, and they're going to embrace red, white, and blue, and Americana, and patriotism, and everything else, and it's going to turn into an even bigger event than it already is because it'll be a three-day weekend for a lot of people. And the excess of Super Bowl will give way to the Monday of President's Day, which is probably, for national holidays, the least important national holiday right now. Nobody really celebrates President's Day other than a few cells going on and uh, and, and associated uh, connections like that with Abraham Lincoln and uh, George Washington and whoever else is, is celebrated on President's Day. Okay, so that's going to happen. And it's going to constrain college basketball even more than it already is. And it's sad to me because I grew up a huge college football fan. That's not a surprise to anybody who listens to this show. And I was also a huge college basketball fan. Now I love the NFL, and the NFL has grown in, in the amount that I, that I care about it. And football now, like a lot of you, takes up an awful lot of my sporting interests. But the NBA has passed college basketball. During the World Cup, I like the World Cup better than I do college basketball. And so I've been sitting around thinking, what has happened to college basketball? Why has it consistently fallen down the list of not just my favorite sports, but also probably a lot of you who are out there listening right now, to the point where college basketball is basically this event that we embrace just for the bracket and just for about two and a half weeks, and then the rest of the season, there's not that much interest in college basketball. Now, you may watch Duke Carolina. You may watch Kentucky when they play a really good team, but the ratings reflect what I'm telling you. That is, slowly people care less and less every year about college basketball. And so I started thinking as I'm flipping back and forth between Rachel Maddow's insanity, all of her conspiracy theories laden together. Oh my God, can you believe that Donald Trump once parked his yacht next to a Russian guy? Can you believe that his airplane actually ended up at the same airport as another Russian guy? I mean, Donald Trump has already driven the left wing of this country insane, or at least exposed to their insanity. And I started thinking, how can we make college basketball great again? What could we do? And I'm interested for what ideas you guys might have. 877-996-6369. So you know the roadmap for the show today. We've got Jeff Schwartz joining us on uh, in the second hour, as he always does. Former NFL offensive lineman. We'll talk about everything surrounding the NFL. Romo, whether or not uh, Jeff Schwartz, uh, you know, his picks for the NCAA tournament. We'll also start to give you some picks for the NCAA tournament in hour three. But here to start the show today, I thought, let's try to make college basketball great again. And so I have a couple of easy two-pronged idea that I think would make college basketball great again. I'm curious what your ideas would be with these two suggestions. And here are my two ideas. I think this would go a long way towards making college basketball a firm part of the American sporting calendar in a way that it isn't now. And here's my number one suggestion. 18-year-olds can go to the NBA. I'm a guy who believes that if you have the talent to make a living at 18 years old, you should be able to do it. We don't ask Taylor Swift to go sing chorus at Vanderbilt. We're not demanding that Jennifer Lawrence go star in a performance of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof at the University of Louisville. Just because you grew up in Nashville, just because you grew up in Louisville, wherever you are as a star, Leonardo DiCaprio is not going to UCLA and starring in the Glass Menagerie, okay? He's ready at the age of 18 to make millions of dollars as an actor. If you are ready at the age of 18 to make millions of dollars as an actor or millions of dollars as a golfer, as a swimmer, as a baseball player, 
as a hockey player, as a sprinter. Basically, in sports, we allow people to go pro at 18 years old and make as much money as they possibly can in every sport except for basketball and football. Now, I argue, and you probably have heard me argue this before, in football, you should be able to go pro at whatever age you want to go pro at, but the vast majority of people are not eligible at 18 years old. Now, you probably have heard me talk about Marcus Lattimore and the injury that he sustained to both knees in his sophomore and his junior year, despite the fact that after his freshman year, he was able, if he had wanted to, to go pro from a talent perspective. I think it's a moral issue in the NFL. I agree with Maurice Claret and Mike Williams back in the day who sued over this. You get the crap beaten out of you now in college football. Your career can end on any play. If you want to go pro after a year of college football, I think you should be able to. Okay, But that's another topic for another day. Basketball is even clearer. The guys that have dominated at the age of 18 years old are some of the best in all of the sport, right? Kobe Bryant, and I don't mean dominated at 18, but I mean good enough to go pro at 18 and and then have become dominant in their careers. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett, Amari Stoudemire, Tracy McGrady, they all went to the NBA at 18, and they all turned into incredible players. Now, you can add other guys to this litany as well. My point on this is pretty simple. College basketball players don't necessarily need to go to college at all. If you are a one-and-done caliber talent, and there's 10, let's say, of those guys every year, then you should be able to go straight to the NBA and make your money. But if you decide to go to college, we should adopt the Major League Baseball rule, which is if you go pro, you can go pro at 18. There's no restricting you. If you are ready to go pro at 18, that's fine. And all you people out there who say, well, but what if they fail? What if they aren't successful? I say, so what? There are 18-year-olds that aren't going to college all over this country, and we're okay with them going to the Marines or going into the armed services. And the next thing you know, they're walking around with guns in their hands, getting shot at in a foreign country, and nobody's wringing their hands over that 18-year-old's decision. My position on this is pretty clear. If you're 18 and you're drafted into the NBA and you don't pan out and you don't end up being successful, then move on with your life. You can do other things. You can still go to college. You still made a lot of money. That's life. Okay, sometimes people fail. There's nothing wrong with it. Mark Zuckerberg could have failed when he dropped out of Harvard and decided to start Facebook. He didn't. Some people become luminescent stars shooting across the night sky in their chosen fields of work without needing to go to college. Other people go to college and end up failures too. College doesn't cleanse you from becoming a failure, and it never disappears. You always have the opportunity to go to college if you have the resources to do so. So I'm not worried about 18-year-olds who fail. If you go to the NBA at 18, that's fine. But if you don't, if you sign a college scholarship, then you have to follow the Major League Baseball rule and you stay for three years. Now, this would need to come from the NBA. In order to make college basketball great again, the NBA would have to change their admission rules. But I think that would be perfect. You peg it entirely onto the same situation as the college uh, as baseball for the major league baseball situation remember at the end of the third year they have a draft everybody can go pro or you can stay for all four years but if you go to college you have to stay for three years I think it makes total sense that's number one number two and this one I think makes sense and college basketball can 100% control it you've got to start the season the, 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 the Tuesday after college football ends College football right now plays its national title game on a Monday night. You need to start the college basketball season 
on that Tuesday. I believe this year it would have been something like January 10th. If you look at the statistics, college basketball has the lowest graduation rate of any sport of any on the college campus. And so you ask yourself why. I think a substantial part of it is because the college basketball season wraps across two semesters. You started in November right before Thanksgiving. You take go to Christmas. Then you have a break for Christmas and the final exams. And then you come back again after Christmas is over and start to play basketball again. Why not start college basketball in January, the day after college football ends, make it a one-semester sport, and move March Madness to May? Make it May Madness instead of March Madness. It's all one semester. Everything is, is, is complete there. You're not then competing with college football for fan attention, and there's limited amounts of the NFL that you're competing with since the NFL playoffs are starting at the same time that you are starting. That way, you have preserved your kind of unique slant on the season. I think it makes total sense. I think it would make college basketball great again. I think it would help to bring in more interest. All right, what do you think of my two ideas? 877-996-6369. I will go to you, Jason Martin. What do you think? I mean, we talked about it a little bit on Radio Row down in the Super Bowl, especially the schedule idea, and I do really like it because the overlap's a problem because the stuff that is overlapping with college basketball is in a stretch of time where you want to see that other stuff instead of college basketball. College basketball being able to kind of be on its own in terms of on the top of the medal stand for once I think is a really, really good idea. The only thing I would add to those two things, and this isn't necessarily in the control of the NCAA or college basketball as a whole, is the quality of the game just hasn't been very good over the last several years. Now, there have been some close games. There was one really close game in the first four last night. But it's just not been very good. It's just the quality, the product itself. I've heard Billis say it. I've heard Vital say it. I've heard a lot of folks say it, that the quality has dropped. I don't know that the one-and-done is responsible for it or whatever it might be. But that's something that definitely needs to be addressed. But I don't know how you really address it. It's kind of like tennis. It's like at one point there was Agassi and Courier and Malavia Washington and Pete Sampras and all of these folks, and then they disappear and there just hasn't been anything unless you're a Sam Query fan or, I guess, Andy Roddick until he decided that he wanted to do other things with his life. So I do think that there's something to be said for the quality of the game. But as for your two ideas, I'm behind them 100%. All right. And I also want your calls. Do you agree with me? Has your interest in college basketball waned? Do you have additional ideas that could make college basketball great again? We're off and running here, 877-996-6369. Let's roll. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Let's see here. I'm going to make you some money. Uh, drive the new Duralast GT brake pads. Proven tough from the tracks to the streets and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So start off the show, try to make college basketball great again. And uh, I'm coming to you straightforward. I used to love college basketball. I grew up here in Nashville. Back in the day, SEC basketball wasn't awful. But I used to pay attention to all the different sports. I went to college at, uh, at George Washington, so I paid attention to A-10 basketball. I was obsessed with college basketball up until the age of about 24, 25. Just loved it. One of my favorite sports. And then over the last decade and more, 
I've stopped caring anywhere near as much. And part of that might just be a function of you get busier, you grow up, you get married, you have kids, you got jobs, you got all these different responsibilities, and football is easier to follow. Football is easier to follow because you just got to keep track of Saturday and Sunday. Maybe you got a Thursday night and a Monday night every now and then, but you can watch every snap of your team. If you're a college basketball fan, there are so many games out there, and there's so many other entertainment options that compete for your attention now. When I was a kid, it was a big deal when there was a college basketball game on television that you wanted to watch. There weren't that many college basketball games. I even remember putting on the radio to hear teams play college basketball. That's something that my kids are never going to even be able to imagine. That's how much I cared about college basketball, though. I would find a game on the radio and listen. Nowadays, every game is on television. And so I'm kind of fascinated by what could we do to make college basketball great again? And so I've got a couple of ideas for you. One, 18-year-olds can go to the NBA, but if you sign with college basketball teams, you have to stay for three years. I think the one-and-done system has really drastically killed the amount of interest that most of us have in college basketball. And that's because it's hard to keep track. It's hard to keep track of players when you're only there for one year. I said it earlier uh, this week. The only player that most people can name in the NCAA tournament is Grayson Allen. Now, it's partly because he's a white dude who plays at Duke that he's been a controversial guy, but it's also because he's been around for three years, and he's been on the national stage for three years. Most of those guys don't actually exist. And so I'm also of the belief that starting the season in November and December kills all the early season matchups because so many people are paying attention to the holidays, they're paying attention to college football, the NFL. Start the basketball season the day after the college football playoff ends, the Tuesday after the college football ends, you make that the tip-off point for college basketball nationwide. Turn it into a big event. This year it would have been January 10th, and that way you make college basketball a one-semester sport, push back March Madness to May Madness. The amount of attention and interest that would exist for college basketball would be the same in May as it is in March. Those are my ideas. All right, we got loaded lines, I believe. I'm going to go to your calls. As you hear somebody drop off, you can come on. What can we do to make college basketball great again? 817-996-6369. Let's go to Morgan in Bakersfield, California. Morgan, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Clay? I am excellent. How's your day? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, So my ideas, I wouldn't really say are, you know, I don't really have any ingenious ones i think yours are spot on but i just want to touch on that in that i think pretty much what you were saying was right um i think the whole one and done rule has completely in my opinion just made college basketball just not as fun to watch because the guys aren't around like you just said and um you know they're i think before it's like when you were to go to the nba at 18 you either went or you went to college and we went to college because you wanted to go and you wanted to play and you wanted there, there was just more to it the kids cared more i think now they just care about going to college to get that one year and then go to the pro so i think that has a lot to do with it yeah i appreciate the call jason martin you're like me you grew up around the same age watching duke carolina you grew up in north carolina shout out to greenville north carolina our newest affiliate in that state and you are like me that you cared a great deal back then and now you care less right Oh, yeah. I mean, especially at that point in time when I'm growing up in the 90s, college football and the ACC, I mean, unless once Florida State joined the league, and I remember an ACC before Florida State was part of the league, I, I went to Virginia games with my with my father and his best friend, so I cared about Virginia Cavaliers football, but outside of that, it was definitely all college basketball for 
I mean, growing up on Tobacco Road, being five miles from Wake Forest, having North Carolina Duke and NC State right down the road and all the all the success that they had. I mean, college basketball was kind of it. And you couldn't, you know, you got the Raycom telecast during the week. ESPN wasn't necessarily running college basketball every day the way that they do now or any other network, so you were stuck. So I actually knew some of the names of the play-by-play guys back in the day for Duke and Carolina because that's the only way I could hear it, usually through static, but that was the only way I could really keep up with it. But at the time, college basketball was kind of it, not just for me, for everybody I knew. That's all we talked about was college basketball. And you felt like you had a connection to the players because the one-and-done concept didn't exist. I do think that you grow into a team – and you grow into the players. Right now, the only thing that's consistent in college basketball is the coaches. And for whatever reason, college basketball coaches, by and large, aren't as connected, it doesn't seem, on the national radar as college football coaches. I think there's a sense in college basketball that the better the players you have, the more you're going to win, whereas I think we give genius, genius credit to college football coaches. That is, look at John Calipari, and let's compare him, let's say, with Nick Saban. I think everybody out there would say, man, Nick Saban's a hell of a coach. And Nick Saban would go anywhere and win. I think most people look at John Calipari and say, he's had by far the most talented team in college basketball over the past decade, and he's won one title. This is a guy, whether it's fair or foul, who's more about trying to get the guys to work together than he is devising great game plans that are going to lead his team to victory. Let's go to Peter in San Antonio. Yeah, I'm going to throw a few flies in the ointment there. Um, the, the thing of it is, is those Christmas tournaments are real important to the kids, you know, and you'd miss out on the Christmas tournaments if you started in January. No, I disagree. But I think you, you think you think that the kids would rather go to Christmas tournaments for basketball than play those same tournaments in January and February. And, and instead of having to do that, you get to go home for a few days at Christmas and visit with your families and your friends around your high school area. I think one of the reasons why college basketball players graduate at such a low rate is because they have to run around and chase two different semesters worth of exams. Right now, all these college basketball kids that are going to go play in the NCAA tournament are basically disappearing from college campuses for multiple weeks, right? And if you are already struggling academically, then that's an absurdity, I think. Thanks for the call. Um, I, I think the idea that you're going to somehow miss the uh, the Christmas tournaments is is not a very <laughs> persuasive argument. Um, and, you know, even guys that you really enjoy. I remember as a kid, for instance, going to watch Shaquille O'Neal play. Shaquille O'Neal came to Vanderbilt University, and he was a mountain of a man, and I was whatever I was, six or seven years old. And I remember sitting up high in the bleachers, looking down at the basketball court, and thinking that Shaquille O'Neal, and in that time, Stanley Roberts, who a lot of old-school basketball fans will remember, LSU, uh, coached by Dale Brown at the time, had two huge seven-footers, and they also had... Chris Jackson, who became Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, I believe, is what he changed his name to in the NBA at some point. But those were three of the most iconic, legendary guys that you have ever seen in the history of college basketball, and they were all on the team together. And there was the debate at the time whether or not Stanley Roberts or Shaquille O'Neal was going to be a better player. And LSU was number one team in the nation. Chris Jackson came out and could score 50 points on any night. And I remember what an incredible experience it was to go sit up in the bleachers and watch those guys play. And I remember how many years Shaq stayed at LSU now that he stayed two or three. I don't remember exactly, but you felt like you knew him. Same thing with Chris Jackson. And when Shaquille O'Neal went on to the NBA, I still remember 
that do you remember was it scoreboard that, that that didn't have the ability to do the 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 picture or was it upper deck I can't remember I still remember the card do you remember you had to mail off the Shaquille O'Neal basketball card to get it back in the mail does anybody else remember that they had a picture of a guy dunking and you had to send in your card in order to get a Shaquille O'Neal rookie card, I think because he had some exclusive basketball deal. But I remember everybody at school obsessed with trying to get that card. Oh, we want to get the Shaquille O'Neal rookie card, then we're going to put it in the mail, and then they're going to mail us the actual Shaquille O'Neal rookie card. Am I crazy for remembering that? Somebody else has to remember that. 877-996-6369, our number here. Let's go find out uh, what's trending. Welcome back to the Fox Sports Radio studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And I want you guys to listen up. I don't want anybody to die today. I want us to have a perfect day among the OutKick listenership. I want everybody to grow up. I want everybody to have a great day, make tons of money, go to bed, wake up tomorrow in time for the tip-off of the NCAA tournament officially on Thursday. And in order to do that, you have to not get hit by a train. And if you think a train will stop, if it sees your car on the tracks, you're right. It will. About a mile after it hits you, stop. Trains can't. Now, if one of you gets hit by a train and killed by a train, it's on you. Train's not going to stop. That train's going to keep going right through. Don't get hit by a train. No outkicks on a roll. We're getting paid to tell you not to get hit by trains. Everybody out there driving around, bumping outkick right now, pull up, pull up in a gas station. You turn this thing as loud as you can. You say, Clay Travis, trying to keep everybody alive in this city, trying to make sure you don't get hit by a train. That's what I do every single day. Tell you not to get hit by a train. Speaking of not getting hit by a train, have you paid attention to some of the stuff that Lonzo Ball's dad is saying? We're going to have to get into that at some point. LeVar Ball. LeVar Ball is his name, right? LeVar Ball has three sons. He said he wants a 10-year, $1 billion contract for them. And he's also said, obviously, that his son is better than Steph Curry, which is wild. Even crazier, even crazier than that is that, uh, you know what? I think Lonzo Ball is really good. And I'm starting to wonder, maybe LeVar Ball isn't crazy. Although the idea that he's going to beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one, do you see that? He averaged two points. At, at Washington State. The guy's delusional in some respects. But maybe 10 years and a billion dollars ain't crazy. Your calls. Uh, let's go to Evan in L.A. Evan, what's up, my man? Hi, good morning. Um, yeah, in addition to your great thoughts, um, I was just thinking, uh, as much as everybody loves March Madness for the two or so weeks it's on TV every year, um, and everybody loves, like, a number 11, George Mason making it to the Final Four. I really think that the like, Garner interest for NCAA basketball throughout the year, you really need to sort of cut down on the number of teams that are invited to the NCAA tournament. I know that goes against the grain. Now they're, what, 68? But to make the conference uh, games mean something throughout the year, you know, it, you got to make it seem less like such an exhibition and more like the game's really mean something. Yeah, I appreciate the call. Yeah, and you hear that a lot about college basketball, uh, college football, right? We got a four-team playoff now, and everybody says, oh, I don't want to turn it into college basketball, where basically everybody makes the, the tournament and where you spend uh, a lot of time sitting around, rink, uh, you know, kind of thinking, what in the world? I mean, 68 teams, and really only about 10 of them have a legitimate chance to win, and the underdogs typically are not going to advance that far. I actually love the size of the NCAA tournament, in fact, what I would do probably is I would eliminate, and this maybe some of you may think this is crazy. 
I should add a third prong to my how do you make college basketball, college football, uh, college basketball great again. One, you have to stay for three years. 18-year-olds can go pro if you just get in your car. 18-year-olds can go pro, but if you go to college basketball, you have to stay for three years. It's just like Major League Baseball. Two, start the season the day after college football ends, so the Tuesday after the Monday night college football title game. Three, I would say actually expand the tournament, double the size once more, so that you end up with whatever the math is on that. I'm not very good at math. Is that uh, 128 teams? You have 128 teams, but, and this is key, you eliminate all conference uh, conference tournaments. So instead of playing the ACC, the SEC, all the tiny, the, the MEAC, all, all these different kind, tiny conference tournaments, which end up oftentimes with a team that doesn't deserve to go to the championship, winning and getting hot for a few days, expand the college basketball tournament to 128 and eliminate conference tournaments because then you get an extra week of the tournament and you're still playing a tournament but you eliminate the conference tournaments I think there would be more interest in that now how you fit 128 team bracket onto a sheet of paper I'm not sure I did think this was interesting I have a sense and I know it's true that college basketball ratings overall are down but I was curious what markets out there is college basketball still dominant and this is crazy to me. We're on in Louisville right now. Good morning, Louisville. I hope uh, you guys are going doing well in Kentucky. I know that basketball is your national sport. Louisville, Kentucky averaged a 5-5 rating for college basketball games this year. Okay? Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina was number two in the nation, and it averaged a 2-4. So Louisville was over twice as popular. Louisville loves college basketball more than any other city in the country and there's not even a close second. And then these other cities were interesting to me because I'm trying to think, where is the heartbeat of college basketball still strong? And a lot of these cities were on in, so I'm curious if this surprises you if you're residents of these places. Louisville's number one with a 5-5 average rating. Over double Raleigh-Durham, which is number two. Kansas City, Indianapolis, Greensboro, North Carolina, which again is still North Carolina, Cincinnati, Ohio, Nashville, Tennessee, Greenville, South Carolina, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Charlotte, North Carolina. That is the 10 cities where college basketball right now is the strongest. Now think about that. You've got the state of Kentucky, which doesn't surprise anybody. And obviously the state of Kentucky only has one city that's big enough to be considered a major market. You've got North Carolina checking in with Raleigh, Durham, Greensboro, and then Greenville, South Carolina, where you've got some great basketball games going on. And by the way, Greenville, South Carolina, I think a jewel of the country. If you've never been to Greenville, South Carolina, one of the coolest small cities in America. So that's all kind of the same. And then you got Charlotte. So four of your top markets in the country come from the state of North Carolina. Then you've got the state of Tennessee, Nashville and Knoxville. Borders on the North Kentucky, which is a massive basketball state. Borders on the East there, the state of North Carolina, which is also a massive basketball state. And then you've got Indiana. You've got Indianapolis, and uh, that doesn't surprise anybody out there. And then you've got the Missouri area, right? Kansas City. And uh, you've also got Cincinnati, Ohio tossed in there. Not a surprise, right? What is it that is making those places still kind of have some pop? Well, Kentucky doesn't surprise you. North Carolina doesn't surprise you. I would say in Cincinnati, if you haven't experienced the Xavier and the University of Cincinnati rivalry, it's one of the best rivalries in all of sports. That city rivalry is just intense. It's passionate. It's fantastic. And Indianapolis, obviously, you've got Purdue in the in the city of in the state of Indiana. You got Notre Dame, 
and you've got Indiana rip Tom Crean, his team lost in the NIT last night. But what is it that makes the game still strong in those markets? I think it's the history of college football. I think it's how much people care in general there. Let's go to, let's see, uh, William in Roanoke. William, what's up? Hey, Clay. Thanks for checking my call, man. Yeah, I yeah, um, appreciate it. To touch base with you how much I can't agree with you on the one and done, how much it's just ruined college basketball. And I was talking to Jason off the air there. And, like, I'm a big UVA fan, and I don't really have to deal with it as much because we keep players for four years. And I just can't imagine being, like, Kentucky fan or other, these other teams that, that, where you have to learn new names each year. It's like you get a whole different batch of players each year. It just has to be frustrating as a fan of the game and, and, and watching the, the game where you just see all the time you have to learn new players all the time. You don't know who anybody is as a fan. It's, it's fun to know who people are. And, uh, you know, also you were talking about um, – Playing cards, you know. I was wondering if you remember the old Beckett magazines. Oh, 100 billion up, percent. <laughs> I still have some of those old Beckett magazines. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thanks no, for the no, call. I, yeah. Yeah. The value, uh, it was awesome. I had the Beckett basketball monthly. I had the Beckett baseball card monthly. I still have a couple of those old magazines I was actually going through recently. And I loved getting those. You got a subscription for whatever it was, $15 a year. You'd open it up and you could look up the price of your cards like it was a stock. I still have the one with Bo Jackson posing, one of the most iconic photos ever taken with the shoulder pads and the baseball bat on his on his shoulders. Uh, I have that poster up in my uh, in my uh, in my bedroom when I was a kid. It was amazing. All right, we're going to go to your calls, finish off this hour, and also I'm going to tell you about the most lame thing I've ever heard of a college doing to handle the fact that its students are a bunch of pussy willows. We'll talk about that and more. 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, time for the Geico play of the day. The NCAA tourney really doesn't start officially until tomorrow. And by the way, I'll be out in Las Vegas alive tomorrow. So that should be fun. Going to be a hell of a day. I'll be up basically for 24 hours flying out there today, speaking to a couple of different big events, and then I'll be ready with you guys tomorrow morning as we get ready for the NCAA tournament. I also just tweeted out the link to our bracket challenge at OutKick. I said if you sign up and you win, you get to come on as a guest on the show. That'll be our prize, which is a pretty cool prize. get to come on for longer than a caller would and talk about your winning bracket. No one's bracket officially doesn't matter until Thursday, so it's not a huge deal unless you're gambling what happened last night. But in the battle of 16 seeds, it came down to the final minute, and this is what it sounded like. Thomas lobs it in. Ray steps in front of the pass, steals it. He puts it up. It's off the top of the backboard. Mount St. Mary's has stolen it, literally. The Mount back in the NCAA tournament for the first time in three years. And they win their second ever tournament game, holding on 67-66 over New Orleans. That call, courtesy Westwood One, big jumper from Junior Robinson to put Mount St. Mary's on top of New Orleans. They'd hang on 
Very close game for the win. Their prize, a date with Villanova tomorrow in Buffalo. That's your play of the day. It's presented by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. We start off the show today talking about ways to make college basketball great again. And my two ideas, pretty straightforward. One If you go to college basketball, you have to stay for at least three years, just like in Major League Baseball. But if you want to go pro at the age of 18, that's completely allowed. That obviously has to do with the NBA's rule and eligibility requirements for being draft eligible. Two, I'd start the season the day after college college football ends. On the Tuesday after the Monday night college football title game, I would roll out the start of the college basketball season. I would, that would then mean that you would push March Madness to May Madness, make college basketball a one-semester sport, be easier to follow, less competition with football, which continues to grow. And I also said if you want to talk about the size of the tournament, I would contemplate expanding the tournament to 128 teams but doing away with the conference title and championship era in uh, college basketball. So I would do away with the week where you start all those games beforehand. That's at least an idea, something to chase, something to contemplate. I believe we have a bunch of calls lined up. And by the way, I'm also following everything that you guys send me on Twitter. I'm at Clay Travis on Twitter. And uh, let's see, there's a several of you have, uh, have tweeted me about my vague recollection of the Shaquille O'Neal rookie card. Uh, Big Mean John says, was it Fleer Ultra? They sent it back with a hole punch in it. Yep, 100% right. Fleer, I don't remember, maybe Upper Deck had an exclusive deal with with, uh, with Shaquille O'Neal when he was number one overall pick for the Orlando Magic. But back in the day, if you were a collector of baseball or basketball cards, if you got that Fleer Ultra Shaquille O'Neal rookie card, it you had to mail it in and they would give you a hole punch. They would hole punch your card and send it back to you with a new Shaquille O'Neal card. It's like back in the day. Remember when you used to uh, have to mail in for special uh, toys like I remember getting a refrigerator Perry GI Joe as well as a Sergeant Slaughter GI Joe. Remember the refrigerator Perry GI Joe? That was a pretty awesome thing. You had I don't remember how you got it. You had to buy like enough GI Joes, maybe two or three, and send in the proof of purchase, and then you got a refrigerator Perry GI Joe. Man, that was the day back in the day. Uh, let's go to uh, Drew in Little Rock. Hey, first time listener, first time caller. <clears throat> Believe it or not. But, you know, I, I just I think it's fantasy land what you're talking about because, not to dis- respectfully disagree, because, you know, the one and done players are wonderful for recruiting for colleges. You know, uh, if, if it's all about ratings for you, then, you know, then you need to siphon some of the teams and make it on to television. No, uh, look, I, I think the problem with one and done is it's not about ratings. It's not about ratings uh, for one and done. One and done, at least initially. Thanks for the call. One and done. If they, if you listen to the the rationale, was about trying to send the message that going to college is an important goal. That's what David Stern said back when he did away with the one and dones. He said we need to send to young black kids, especially out there who are big fans of the NBA. We need to send them the message that you should be trying to go to college. Well, that's fine. I don't disagree with it at all. But the problem with the one-and-done concept is you're going to college for like six months, right? You show up on campus in late August. You almost immediately start college basketball practice by October. So you're on campus for like six weeks as a regular student without actual practice. And by the way, you're still 
supposed to show up every day and play in the gym with all your teammates. The coaches just wink, wink, nudge, nudge, can't be there to watch you. Official practice starts whenever it does, October 15th, something about that, around then when Midnight Madness officially launches. And then you play basketball for six months until March, and then most of these guys never go finish the semester. Or they finish the semester only because they count as the APR, and they never actually go back to class. I mean, it's possible that you can be a one-and-done player and hardly ever have to set foot in a college classroom. And you're not in any way a typical college student. So this idea, I think it's a flagrant disrespect of the concept of academic eligibility that we have the one-and-done concept to even begin with. And then on top of it, nobody ends up with any connection to these players. They're there for six months. They show up. You have to learn all their names, and then they disappear. You have no equity built up. You have no relationship as a fan built up with watching a player get better, watching a player cope with failure. And you know, if you play a rival, let's say you're a Kentucky fan, well, those guys play Louisville one time. They don't really care. I mean, they want to win because they want to win a game. But in the grand scheme of the situation, it's nothing compared to having guys stay around for three or four years. Final uh, segment of the show now complete. Hour two, we're rolling. We're going to talk about Lonzo Ball and also a Brazilian team. It signed a goalie who dismembered his girlfriend and fed her to dogs. That really happened. I'm Clay Travis here on OutKick. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well as remember this show brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. And on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a newer used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick. And we talk a lot about the limits of redemption on this show. In particular, we talked a great deal, I think, about Joe Mixon and what exactly should happen for Joe Mixon at Oklahoma after he punched a girl on video and broke her jaw in four places and we've talked a little bit about Tyreek Hill at the Kansas City Chiefs and the fact that he got a pass compared to maybe a little bit Joe Mixon this blows my mind my general philosophy in life is that so long as your talent exceeds your problems you will always be employed that's not a ridiculous idea you try to figure out why somebody has a job and somebody else does not it's kind of easy, right? Let's let's think about it. The reason why Ray Rice is not working right now in the NFL is not because he happened to punch his fiance on video in that Atlantic City casino. It's because he wasn't that productive the year before he did that. And so his problems, i.e. the fact that he was on video punching his fiance, were greater than his talents. And if your problems are greater than your talents, you're not going to be employed. Why is Johnny Depp still employed? No matter Whether you agree or disagree with the fact that he may have been involved in a domestic violence situation, it's because not that many people can play Captain Jack Sparrow. And when the new version of Pirates of the Caribbean comes out, it's going to make several hundred million dollars. Robert Downey Jr. has got an incredible back history back in the day in Hollywood of all sorts of absurdity that he was involved in. But you know what? He's one of the best actors there is, and who else is going to play Tony Stark as Iron Man. Right now, if Tom Brady had been on video punching his wife in the punching Giselle in the face on a on a video just like Ray Rice, he'd still be employed because he's Tom Brady and his talent as quarterback vastly exceeds the problem of that domestic violence incident. 
So this is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And we're going to talk to Jeff Schwartz, uh, our weekly guest, every Wednesday. We're going to talk to him about this situation uh, around the NFL and everything else. He's our NFL former offensive lineman guest. And we'll break down this uh, Tony Romo weight. What does he think is happening there? We'll also talk college basketball a little bit with him. But I saw this story and I said, we have to talk about this. This former Brazilian goalkeeper was convicted of murdering his ex-girlfriend. And then he and several other people were also alleged to have dismembered her body and fed it to dogs. They've never been able to find his body, this, the, the ex-girlfriend's body. He served seven years in prison for killing his ex-girlfriend and feeding her to dogs. This guy, and I'm inevitably going me- to massacre his name, but his name is Bruno Fernandez de Souza. He's been signed to play soccer goalie for a Brazilian soccer team. And in a Facebook post, the team defended themselves by saying they're not responsible for the release and freedom of the athlete. They believe they should be able to give work to those intend to intend to recover. This is maybe the most remarkable thing I've, I've ever seen. Guy, I've always asked the question, what would have happened to O.J. Simpson if O.J. Simpson had been 27 or 28 years old when he was alleged to have killed these two people in Los Angeles? If he had been acquitted of that crime, which he was, he was found not guilty, would an NFL team have signed O.J. Simpson if he were still in his prime? What about Aaron Hernandez, even more recently? Would Aaron Hernandez be playing in the NFL right now if he had somehow beaten the charges about this alleged murder that he was convicted of? Would he still be playing in the NFL? Because as a tight end, there's no doubt that his talent is massive. My general idea is no, that we have a line where we're like, wow, that crime is so severe, you shouldn't be able to rehabilitate yourself after it. I'm trying to think of guys that have been convicted of crimes and done jail time that have played in the NFL, and the only one that immediately comes to mind is Michael Vick. And whether or not you agree necessarily with the length of time that he was sent to prison for dogfighting, I think you would agree that dogfighting is on the list of things that you can do wrong fairly far down the list compared to killing a woman and feeding her dismembered body to dogs. This is I, I am blown away that this goalie has been signed by this Brazilian soccer club. And the guy served seven years in prison. First of all, how do you only serve seven years in prison for being involved in the murder of an ex-girlfriend and then allegedly feeding her body to dogs so that there's no trace of her remembering? And why? what was the motive for this? Supposedly that she was trying to prove that he was the father of one of her children. I mean, this is an insane story. Can you imagine what would happen to Roger Goodell if an NFL team signed a guy who had fed his ex-girlfriend's dead body, dismembered, to dogs? Can you believe this story? I mean, I thought it was not real. Again, I'm reading from CNN, so this is a real story. This Brazilian soccer team has really done this. I think that's past the point of redemption. I'm not sure what the line is for something that you could have done that is so bad that you don't deserve to continue to play professional sports in this country, but I'm confident that killing your ex-girlfriend, chopping up her body, and then feeding her remains to wild dogs is probably past the point of no return. I think as an owner of a team, I'd say, you know what? I think I'm going to pass on this guy. I think his problems exceed his talents. 
But I've always wondered what would have happened because O.J. was a hell of a player. O.J. Simpson, one of the best running backs of all time. If he's acquitted of murder at 27 or 28, does an NFL team sign him and allow him to come play for them again? What about Aaron Hernandez? Would somebody employ Aaron Hernandez if he had beaten these charges and a jury had found him not guilty? What do you think, Jason Martin? Does O.J., if he's 27 or 28, does he ever play football again? No. <laughs> not, I, I mean, mean it's, it's a double murder. I mean, come on. You can't put but he was not guilty. Yeah, right. But he was found not guilty by a what jury. What team wants him? Like, what, what populace would stand for that? Like, which I don't know. fan base would want him? I think that fan bases are way more amoral than they're given credit for. I think if you look at the story, remember Ray Rice? Ray Rice didn't get kicked to the curb by the Baltimore Ravens until that video came out. And in fact, he showed up at a mini camp, I believe, before TMZ got that video. And there were lots of women showing up in Ray Rice jerseys saying, yeah, look, I know he's been a bad guy, but we, we don't judge anybody based on one act. The Baltimore Raven fans were perfectly fine with having Ray Rice play for them. It was the nationwide consensus that it was an awful decision that made it not happen. See, my theory in general on a lot of these scandal stories is that individual fan bases don't care. As long as you make it more likely that their team is going to win, individual fans and individual fan bases don't care what you've done. I guarantee you there are these Brazilian soccer team, there are fans out there defending their decision if they think this goalie is really good. Now, I don't know. How can you maintain your goalie status for seven years when you're in prison? I don't know what Brazilian prison is like, but I'm guessing it ain't that nice. American prison is not very nice. I've been in Caribbean prisons before when I was practicing attorney, and it was terrifying to be in there. I mean, these places, no air conditioning, just big kind of shell buildings. I mean, it's an awful, awful environment. I would imagine that Brazilian prisons have a lot more in common with Caribbean prisons than they do with American prisons, and American prisons ain't nice. But to me, Danny G and Robert, can you guys believe that the Brazilian team signed a guy who was convicted of murder and fed the dismembered remains of his ex-girlfriend to dogs? I mean, that that is amazing to me. That yeah. To me, that's pretty big problems. He must have some bicycle kick. Uh, I, I can believe it, and I... And I I kind of disagree with Jason because I think if O.J. had been in his prime at the time of that, as long as the court said he was innocent, I think a team would probably give him a flyer. I mean, as a little kid here in Los Angeles, we used to see him post-NFL career all over TV cutting up Pioneer Chicken on their commercials. So I'm pretty sure that would be taken away from him. But I think a team would definitely bring him in. But I think the whole, I think my whole argument is, if he's twenty-seven or twenty-eight, we don't know him nearly as well. Yes, he's a, he's still an athlete, but he's not the same guy that's done all the Hertz commercials and the guy that's been in the Naked Gun and the guy that's been in kind of the public eye outside of sports. I don't think that just the athlete O.J. Simpson gets the same level of respect as the the O.J. Simpson that arrived in our faces in the mid-'90s. Well, what, I think somebody would sign him. What? Yeah, because, I mean, he had a 2,000-yard yes. rushing season. He, and he, he was an icon all over the L.A. area. I mean, Kaepernick I, I can't get a job right now. Kaepernick can't get a job because he's not that good. If Colin Kaepernick was as good as as Tom Brady right now, if he was as good as, God, I don't know, if he was as good as Eli Manning, he would have a job right now. Kaepernick's just not good at quarterback. If Aaron Rodgers decided he was going to take a knee to protest the national anthem, the Green Bay Packers would 100% continue to employ him for as long as he wants to play quarterback and is still good. 
Kaepernick's problem is not he protested, as that he's protested and he's not that good at football. OJ would have been at 27 or 28, arguably the best running back in the NFL. I mean, Adrian Peterson got to come back and he pled whatever it was, no contest or took probation for child abuse. And there were all those pictures out of Adrian Peterson beating the crap out of his kid. And that was at the tail end of Adrian Peterson's career. I mean, I'm not sure if anybody's going to sign Adrian Peterson now, but it's not over the child abuse issues. It's because he's just not very good. Once a running back hits 30, he's basically done. You'll talk to this about Jeff. We'll talk with this, with Jeff Schwartz, about whether or not he thinks, can believe this Brazilian team and what the limits of redemption are here in America. Can you think, and I'm also curious, tweet me, what's the worst thing that somebody has done that you can think of and continued to be either a college athlete or a pro athlete? Again, Mike Vick dogfighting came back from serving time at Fort Leavenworth, I believe, in a federal penitentiary over that and played in the NFL. But what's the worst thing that somebody's ever been convicted of and then ended up continuing to play college athletics at a major level or pro sports? I'm not sure what the line is. I'm pretty sure it's nowhere near this Brazilian dude, but I'm curious if people can come up with what that line is, what, what what examples you can find. We'll talk to Jeff Schwartz about it here momentarily coming up on the flip side. In the meantime, I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage. And whatever you do, don't get hit by a train and also don't kill your girlfriend and feed her to dogs unless you want to play Brazilian soccer. And then there'll always be a job for you here on Outkick. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Uh, when you really need to be there, you really need an interstate. The car battery auto techs prefer. Let one of those techs test your battery today. Find a location near you at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. Speaking of outrageously dependable, we got Jeff Schwartz now. We bring him in. And I was asking the question, what's the most ridiculous thing you can remember somebody having done and continue to play pro sports? That is a conviction of some sort. Uh, and a lot of you immediately rolling in on Twitter with uh, different suggestions. Leonard Little, former defensive end for the St. Louis Rams, got a DUI and killed a woman and came back and played in the NFL. Dante Stallworth hit a pedestrian and killed that person, settled with them, and also came back and played in the NFL. Ray Lewis was charged with double murder. And then after the trial began, he flipped sides and testified against his co-defendants and he continued to play in the NFL, and the Baltimore Ravens actually have a statue to Ray Lewis outside of their stadium here. We bring in Jeff Schwartz. He grew up in L.A. Jeff, I I was asking this question because a Brazilian team signed a goalie who had killed his girlfriend and fed her dismembered body to dogs. He served seven years in prison. He's now a goalie in Brazil. Would you have trouble rooting for that team? Uh, I think so. Uh, it's not even that, that would, I mean, he fed her to the dog. I saw that story. I was, I was shocked, but you know, to your point, I, I think a lot of those guys you mentioned, it comes down to talent, right? If you can still play yeah, that's exactly what I said, they'll, they'll find somewhere to put you. If Ray Rice could still play, I'm, I'm sure he would have, he would be playing. Um, you know, I think that the worst of those have to be, you know, kind of those DUIs. Um, but if you know, like Aaron Hernandez would not play if he got, you know, if he came out. Yeah. Of that's the question tomorrow, I asked. Would, okay. So be- if, if Aaron Hernandez had beaten the charges though, if instead of going to jail and serving like three years in prison or something, let's say that Aaron Hernandez had beaten the charges, do you think that a team would have signed him? If he had just outright been like he gone to trial and found not guilty? Yep. Uh, yes. Okay, what about, oh, you grew up in L.A. 
What about I if did. OJ had been 27 or 28 years old when he beat those murder charges? Would OJ have gotten signed in the NFL to continue his career if he had been at the absolute peak of his athletic ability? Um, that's a good question because it's a much different time back then, and I don't, I don't know how um, it would have played. I think nowadays if that had happened, I think he would have been signed, yeah. Yeah, that, that's my argument is that, I mean, look, the guy was rushing for 2,000 yards. He would have beaten double murder charges, even if you think he did it. I think there's a fan base out there that would have signed him. And again, the individual fan base oftentimes will defend a player no matter what happens if it makes them more likely to win, right? Look at what happened with Florida yes. State and Jameis Winston. Jameis exactly. Winston, the idea that, that everything that went down at FSU was a disgrace there, right? Whether you're an FSU fan or not. But Jameis Winston was a really talented quarterback. If he had been a mediocre backup offensive lineman, they would have kicked him to the curb as soon as those charges had come out, as soon as the media attention had started. Instead, they helped to cover up the fact that he may well have gotten away with sexual assault. Exactly. By the way, so your, your Ice Cube interview was awesome, but he, did he say that he didn't think OJ did it? Yeah, he said he did. If you missed the Ice Cube interview, you can go back and listen I, to him all the time on the podcast. I had Ice Cube on last week. He said he didn't think OJ did it. I just I don't know how you can think that with all the evidence like that, that it's – like pointing to him, uh, just it was an odd part of the interview. I just remembered that because you brought the OJ thing. But um, yeah, I think this, all these questions come down to talent. If you can play, no matter kind of what you did, they're going to find a place for you because it comes down to winning. And, and like you said, the fan bases they'll defend their guys to the end, right? Steelers fans defend Big Ben when he got in trouble. Um, you know, Patriots fans not to the same level, but Patriots fans defend Tom Brady. Um, obviously, it's not close to the same level as that. But as long as you you have a supportive fan base at your home base, I think you can play in the NFL and, and not get that much backlash uh, within the community. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz. Okay, the big question that's still out there: NFL free agency. We obviously spent a lot of time talking about that last week. Romo is still out there, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen with him. What do you think happens with Romo? Oh, um, you know, so much for Dallas doing, the, doing the, the right thing for by Tony Romo, right, and releasing him and letting him choose his team. Of course they're not going to let him do that. Um, you know, they're going to try to find get some draft picks out of this somehow. I just don't know what the what the price will be for Romo. Uh, I don't think that anyone's going to give up that many draft picks, uh, especially high ones because of his injury-prone career, especially the last couple of years. I, I don't know if Dallas is waiting for the draft or they're waiting for someone to get desperate, like a Sam Bradford type deal, where someone gets hurt in camp, and um, you know they bring, uh, they trade Tony Romo that way. But Tony Romo already did his goodbye video, so if they keep him on at any time, you know, past the, the OTA starting, which I think is like April seventeenth ish. Um, he's just not going to show up. I mean, it's going to be a awkward situation where he doesn't show up. So uh, they might just try until then to trade him. But if you're Houston or Denver, you just can sit around because if they, if they, I mean, they don't have to trade him, I guess, but then it's a really awkward situation. So at some point, you got to figure he's going to be trade or released, and then he's going to Houston. We're talking to Jeff Short. So you think Houston is the better option than, than Denver? Yes. You know, Houston has warmer weather, which is important for older players. Um, they have a younger, healthier defense. Uh, was number one in the league last year. They have – a better O-line right now. Now, Denver signed uh, a bunch of O-linemen in free agency. They signed back from the Cowboys, back from the Raiders. Um, so they're, they're building their O-line better. So they might have a better run game in the end. And um, they play an easier division. That's, I mean, plain and simple. I think it's a lot easier to win the, the South if you have Romo than if you put Romo on Denver and have to beat 
you know, Oakland, who's going to only get better, the Chiefs, who are as steady as can be, and the Chargers won't be, you know, 4-12 and again next year. So um, all those added up. He's staying in his home state, you know, what, what Houston, three hours away from Dallas. Um, so it makes sense for him to go to Houston. You said something that I think we hear a lot from older players, but I think your average person out there kind of doesn't necessarily know what it means. You said if it's warmer weather, it's easier on older players. Why is that? Your joints don't hurt. <laughs> I mean, you could feel um, a difference. So you played in some cold weather environments. You could feel a difference between, let's say, when you played in Texas in an, or in a dome versus when you play outdoors and it's freezing in, in New York or wherever else you might have played where it was cold. Oh, yeah. for many, And also, I mean, this is something that's, that's kind of um, – a small thing. And I don't know if it really matters that much when players look to where they play, because a lot of it comes down to money. But, you know, if you practice on grass year round, because it's a hot weather uh, or warmer weather city, that helps your joints so much compared to when you practice on turf for eight weeks out of the year, because you're inside. And I've done that, the turf thing for, you know, my last four years, I was in the NFL, the last you know eight weeks of the year, you're on turf every day and it hurts your joints, especially for bigger guys. You have to wear, uh, you know, might have to fill in a couple of knee sleeves, wear long pants, wear a couple layers at practice. Um, it takes longer to warm up. You hurt a little bit more than you normally do. That's the turf and the cold. You know, when I played in Carolina, we were outside every day. We didn't, there wasn't even, there's not a dome still, not a practice dome. And you're on grass every day. You play on grass as well. Um, it just, your body feels better. When it's cold, you know, you, you can bundle up, but it's not that many days where it's cold in Charlotte. So, you know, just if you're an average person, when it gets cold outside, if you've had an injury, when it gets cold outside, that injury hurts a little bit more. Same for the NFL. And I think a lot of people would probably be surprised maybe by, we talked a little bit about this, but I want to go back into it again, the free agency process. Do you assess or consider what the tax rate is in a market when you decide whether or not to sign a deal? Like, do you yeah. immediately think, okay, that state, like state of Florida, state of Texas, state of Tennessee, Compared to, let's say, New York or California, do you immediately think, oh, man, this is a big deal? Because people say that, that athletes wouldn't. In your experience, that wasn't true. Oh, we look at the tax rate. I mean, maybe not the player does, but the agent does. I remember when I was looking at for agency, the Raiders called, and the Raiders weren't very good uh, in 2014. And I said to myself and my agent, like, they better give me more than anyone else because I'm not paying 13% in California. I mean, think about the difference. You can play 13% in California, which is the income rate for the highest bracket, or pay zero in Florida or Texas or Tennessee. I mean, that's a big difference in a contract, especially if this is your one big contract. So uh, that's why you see the Raiders sometimes having to overpay for a lot of guys is because, you know, you're not going to get somebody if you have an equal value contract because that's a lot of money. And, uh, you know, guys definitely look at that. We're going to come back with you here momentarily. I'm going to go ahead and go to what's trending, but I want to ask you on the flip side. I know you're a basketball fan. I'm going to tell you my theory to make college basketball great again, and uh, we'll talk about that as well as the NCAA tournament with my guy Jeff Schwartz at G-E-O-F-F Schwartz. But right now, let's find out what's trending. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And listen up. If you think a train will stop, if it sees your car on the tracks, you're right. It will about a mile after it hits you. Stop. Trains can't. Jeff Schwartz, can you believe I get paid to tell people not to get hit by trains? <laughs> Every time I hear you read that ad, I, I can't believe it's a real, it's a real thing. It's remarkable. 
the uh, the the rate of people getting hit by trains in the country is down like ninety eight percent since I started doing those ads. Hate to brag. Um, you you love I know following our esteemed president on Twitter. Did you see what he tweeted this morning already? Yeah, that's Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I, Can, I mean the thing about it is that I love I love. Okay, yeah. I let me read the, the let me read the tweet first for everybody out there who hasn't heard it. This is from <laughs> President Trump. Uh, can you imagine what the outcry would be if at Snoop Dogg, and he tag- tagged him, which is amazing, if at Snoop Dogg, failing career and all, had aimed and fired the gun at President Obama, jail time, exclamation point. So I guess in Snoop Dogg's new video, he has he a, a cl- yeah, he shoots like a clownish Donald Trump figure with a make-believe gun. All right, so I just love the idea that our president, first thing in the morning, is waking up and tagging Snoop Dogg in his Twitter feed. May, probably the best thing that's happened to Snoop Dogg's career since he met Dr. Dre, let's be honest, because yes. there are now 12 million people out there who are, you know, it's not like Donald Trump's audience necessarily overlaps with Snoop Dogg's that much. This is literally the best thing that could happen to Snoop Dogg's career. Can you believe that we have a president tagging Snoop Dogg and going after him early in the morning? Or it's at remarkable. Any point and I, I just love how no matter what he tweets, it's always the other person's failing. Yes. Like, like against all the stats that are out there, like Snoop is not failing. He's not failed ever. He's you know he's Hall of Famer, and it just it's uh, just rap remarkable. Hall of Famer. This is uh, this is also funny. Did you watch that Rachel Maddow thing last night? Everybody's like, oh my god, Rachel Maddow's got this uh, tax return. No, I I tweeted about it um, because I figured it was a whole bunch of nothing, and then and then they and they scooped her on it, and I watched it, and I think it's totally plausible that Trump leaked that out to prove that he paid taxes because. His son this morning or last night tweeted like, "Look, everybody, my father paid taxes. Ha ha, we told you." And I just think that's what it was. I think he totally played her, but I've never watched this Rachel Maddow chick before uh, because I, I don't spend either. a lot of time watching news, you know, on, on television. I read a lot, obviously through social media and everything else, but I'm not your typical news junkie. Now I'll watch when it's a major event going on or there's live news happening, but in terms of analysis, I thought she seemed totally insane. I mean, and I was watching it, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, this this woman has come unglued. Is this really what her show is like on a regular basis? And I'm not a regular TV viewer, but, I'm, my God, she was she was totally out of control. Like, she was, looked like she belonged in the loony bin. Um, I, I don't watch uh, network uh, TV, network news. I know it's on, you know, it's a cable channel, but I don't watch any of it. Um, but just, you know, following on Twitter to what – all those things that she said, those, you know, conspiracies, that's all been on Twitter – by people that I follow or retweet and stuff. I mean, I, I or that I see retweeted. So that's not that was anything new that I heard before. They're trying to link all the planes and yachts and all where everyone's going. And I think that this that two things. One is that I didn't know this by the way. Matt, I was a Rhodes Scholar. I learned that last night as well. So maybe that she she did this to try to bring out Trump and some. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what happened. But yeah, it was ridiculous. I was not going to watch that. There was no chance. Not with Twitter. I could just follow on Twitter. Why would I watch that? Did you grow up a huge fan of college basketball? Like, would you watch a lot of college basketball growing up as a kid? Yeah, I was a UCLA fan. My parents are UCLA alums, so I grew up. They won a championship in '95. So, um, you know, I watched uh, I watched a ton of college basketball as a kid. All right, so the Tyus Edney run, you were watching that when he hit the shot against Missouri and everything else. I remember exactly where I was when he, when he did that. Yeah. Okay, so Lonzo Ball is uh, is obviously a great player. What do you think of his dad? And I've got kids in the background there, too, so they're saying hi to us. But what do you think yeah. of the dad uh, and all his comments of late? Um, I, I think he's insane. Um, <laughs> I've never thought in my life 
that a, a player's father or you know family member could hurt someone's draft status, but it's entirely possible. Like if he got drafted by the Lakers, can you imagine just having to deal with with him all the time in Los? You know, even enough to deal with as, as a Lake as you know Lakers and deal with that all the time and talking. Um, but some of the stuff is just outrageous, like the Jordan comment. He, his son's want he wants a billion dollar shoe deal. Um, it's just remarkable. I, I think at some point, if that was my dad, I would say like, yo, you gotta, you kind of just stop, please. Have you just ever like drafted? Just stop. Have you ever seen anybody in your NFL career have an involved parent in the NFL? Because I'm trying to think uh, about the LeVar Ball situation. There obviously have been a lot of parents involved at a young age in their in their in their kids' careers, right? Whether you talk yes. about Richard Williams with Venus and Serena Williams, always dads, by the way, it's never moms. Venus and Serena Williams, you know, you had the Richard Williams situation. John Elway, Jack Elway was very instrumental in terms of where he was going to get drafted. Archie Manning with Eli back in the day when he said he didn't want him to go to the uh, the Chargers, ended up going to the Giants. And, you know, you can kind of run through, obviously, Marinovich's dad, who was maybe yeah. like the, the craziest dad of all. Like, there have been these stage parents, so to speak. Can you remember in your career in the NFL or even maybe at Oregon, a parent, and I imagine it's a dad, being as involved in this way as you're seeing LeVar Ball be involved right now? But it's not that he's involved. Like, I, I sort of get – um, like the parents I, that want to live through their kids a little bit and push their kids to be better and, and all that. He's not pushing his kid to be better. He's talking about himself the whole time. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like that's the difference, right? He's not saying like, yeah, he said, he said his son could beat Steph Curry in a one-on-one, but now it's gone down to where I would beat Jordan in a one-on-one. Uh, he's pushing his brand. They have a, a brand called like triple B. It's like big baller brand or something like that. Um, he's just doing all, he's doing all this stuff to push his own agenda, not his son's agenda. His son's agenda is great. He might be the first to go overall. He's had a great season. I mean, I just saw he's like one of the top all time assist leaders at UCLA for single season. I mean, he's done a great job, uh, as a player for UCLA, but now it's turned more about the dad instead of the kid. So this is a different situation than the parents you mentioned who just pushed their kids to be better. Maybe it was extreme, but it paid off in most cases. Um, but this is this is something totally different. I mean, to see he averaged like two points a game at like Cal State Davis, and he's saying he's going to beat Jordan in a one-on-one match. It's ridiculous. So, uh, speaking of ridiculous, uh, well, by the way, do you have a favorite in the NCAA tournament? Like, you'll fill out a bracket. I'm assuming we're going to have a bracket challenge. Maybe yes. you, can go, you can go play in the Outkick bracket challenge. Who's your team? Who are you picking to win? Um, I probably will pick Arizona. Just to kind of stay close to home. Okay, Arizona the two seed in the West with uh, with Gonzaga as the one seed. All right, last question for you, and I'm going to talk about this in the final segment. Did you see the story about the Canadian college? You're a big guy. They removed the weight scale from the gym. <laughs> but This is a true story. This is a real story because college kids were complaining that the weight was triggering them because they did, if they went and weighed themselves, they were not happy with their body image. Uh, what would the reaction be in an NFL locker room if you removed the weight scale because it was too triggering? Were you ever triggered by a weight scale? You, ha- you weigh a lot when you step onto one. Would you consider yourself triggered at any point in the gym by the weight scale there? Yeah, I was triggered when I got fined last year for being overweight. That triggered me, my pocketbook. Um, that's, a, that's just ridiculous. I struggle with weight as well as anyone else does. I'm not one of those guys who has to put on weight to play. And obviously I'm done now and I still have to weigh myself every couple of days to see where I'm at. Um, this is ridiculous. Like if you are, are upset about your body image, that's on you. That's a you problem. 
um, you know, you, if you're upset about it, then you can do something about it. There's ways to, to change your body and transform your body. So that's just, uh, I don't know where we're going in society. I don't, it's just frustrating. Every day do we become more of a pussy willow society? Is there any doubt that, that, that the yes. DBAP movement needs to take over? Yes. And what's funny is we have a president who's like the opposite of that at, at times. Like that's, it was supposed to be, you know, they voted for him to be different than what culture we have so, at some time. So we're just getting worse. I, and I just don't get it. Like it just seems, it seems like people are responding to the very left of left. Like it's not a high percentage of people who got triggered by the weight scale. I mean, you know, like two people could, could, could you know, could complain about it, start a social media thing, people protest and all of a sudden they're taking a weight scale away. Like I feel like it's such a small amount of people that get upset about that and you're catering to that small um, amount of people and all a lot of these situations it's just a little amount of people and um, I, I just I don't get it I really don't I think that what should happen when people are complaining about things like this you have a arbiter of stupid complaints and if you're the weekly dumbest complaint on a college campus you should have to walk around with a huge message board like back in Die Hard 2 and it should just say <laughs> I am a pussy willow the willow would be left off and you just have to wear that all over campus and everybody ridicules you I think that would cure a lot of this Jeff Shorts thank you my man take care guys that is Jeff Schwartz. You can follow me. He joins us every single Wednesday in the bottom of the hour. We'll take your calls. We'll react more up next here on OutKick. I hope you're not too triggered because I certainly am about to trigger you even more with the story you're going to hear next. This is OutKick on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. Okay, the triggering thing on the weight scale. I keep wondering when we're going to hit the point where college kids have become such pussy willows that everybody just throws up their hands and says, we have to stop coddling this behavior. And I think the weight scale is close to the end times. They rem- they didn't tell the person in the gym who had been complaining about the weight scale being there. You know, there are people who want to get on the weight scale. One of the purposes of being in the gym is to figure out whether or not you're getting a good workout, maintaining your body weight is important. Yes, I understand that sometimes the weight can be an inexact science. It's more important like what your body looks like than perhaps what you weigh. You could add muscle, and even though you're in better shape, you could weigh more. Like All those things are understandable, right? What you probably shouldn't do is agree to immediately remove the weight scale from the lock from the from the gym and replace it with a sign pointing out how triggering weight scales can be i'm blown away that we're reached this point i don't think we're very far away everybody talks about the participation trophy era of young kids playing sports guys i don't think we're very far away from a legitimate argument out there that we have to stop keeping score in games because people who lose feel bad and people who win shouldn't be able to feel better because ultimately a sports contest is not a scoreboard of life situation where we should be creating winners and losers. I mean, I'm not kidding about this. I'm not talking about like five or six-year-old kids where they're really out there playing sports for the first time. Granted, there's no real point in keeping score in those games. 
I've been a coach and been out on the fields for soccer when kids are just kind of running around everywhere. I'm talking about where you're old enough to understand and keep score yourself. I don't think we're very far away from this. I think that, in fact, I'm sure there's people arguing it right now that scores and giving people winners or losers status from athletic events is destabilizing and hurts people's self-esteem. I'm guaranteeing you that we're not very far away from that. When I see something like weight scales being removed from gyms in colleges because it's triggering to fat people, I don't even know what else to say. I mean, it is mind-boggling to me. Jason Martin, you're trying to get in shape. Can you believe that this actually happened? You're in the gym. You've been posting pictures of yourself working out. I imagine that every now and then you go on the scale to check and see if you're having any progress. This is mind-blowing to you too, right? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, what's the point? It's like you have to see where you are in order to make whatever changes you need to make to get where you want to be. Like, if you're triggered by your own weight, then back away from the refrigerator. How like, long are you not going to be tr- triggered by your own image, too? Are we far from people saying we shouldn't have mirrors anywhere because ugly people have to look at themselves and, and it's unfair? I mean, that's yeah. basically the same thing, right? I mean, if you're triggered by your image, oh, no, I, I haven't been able to put makeup on this morning, or oh, no, I got a new double chin. Like, if you're triggered by your image, why should you look at your image at all? Let me tell you what's coming next. Weight is a construct, and it can be changed. And I can come on the radio and say, I'm 200 pounds. Because what's the difference in that than me coming and telling you that I'm black this morning? Like, what's or, the or difference girl. between if these you things? Came on, if you came on the show this morning and you said, guys, important announcement, I'm now a girl, right. and I made fun of you, like, it would go viral, and people would say, oh, my God, Clay Travis is transgender phobic, right? Yeah, it would be a huge yeah. story. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, look, when I get on an airplane, I'm like, yeah, I'm a... I'm 215 pounds, but can I still get that seatbelt extender? Like, that's, like the, that's how bad it is. I'm going to Vegas tomorrow. Should I go to Vegas? I'm 37 and say that I'm actually 22. Can I be, can I, can I be 22? And, is age a social construct, too? 22-year-old Hispanic sex, woman, Clay. That's what you need to be in Las Vegas. Need to be a hot 22-year-old Asian chick. They can get well, you anything can do that in too. Vegas. That's what I want to be. I want to take advantage of that hot chick privilege. Danny G, can you believe that they're taking away scales right now in gyms? <laughs> it's pretty laughable. I, it, it's amazing. I, I mean, I like what percentage of people out there listening to us right now agree with removing weight scales from the gym? Is that is it even is it even one percent of people that are listening to us right now that would agree with that? And and I'm just saying, I, and obviously there may be five percent of some audience like that was watching Rachel Maddow last night. There's probably five or ten percent of the Rachel Maddow audience, maybe higher, that agrees with removing the scale because it's hurting somebody's feelings. But how in the world did we end up here? Like, how is it that we have gotten so sensitive that when somebody comes up with an idea like this? you don't have somebody at the college just immediately laugh them out of the office. Like, this is my argument. You need to have to walk around with a giant poster board that says, I am a pussy willow. They should give this out every week on a college campus for somebody who comes and complains about the most ridiculous thing and everybody else on campus. If you want to stay enrolled at the school, you have to wear the poster board around and everybody else on the campus should ridicule that person such that you actually start to feel shame over what a pussy willow you are and not go public with crap like this that is really your only thing. If you don't want to know what you weigh, you don't have to get on the scale. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Clay. Rather than say, I can't believe it, what's next? How can we turn things around and go the other direction? I I think it's ridicule. 
I think, in, in all honesty, I, and it's a fascinating question. We'll kind of dive into this maybe in the, in, the, in the next hour. But I think that we have rightfully tried to protect kids from bullying to such an extent. Bullying is the number one target of wrong in schools today. That we now have moved beyond bullying, and now we're just trying to make sure that nobody's ever sad. That nobody's ever sad for any reason. If anybody's sad, we have to make sure that they're not sad. And ultimately, sadness is a part of life. you got to deal with it. We can't protect people from being pussy willows. Can't do it. DBAP, I'm Clay Travis. Final hour coming up next here on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Final hour, Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote. Also, this show brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Started the show off today talking about the fact that I would like to make college basketball great again. That I remember a day, and it wasn't so long ago, when college basketball really was a major sport in this country that people really got psyched about, that it was something other than just a couple-of-week process in March where, for gambling reasons or filling out bracket reasons, everybody got interested in college basketball. And I've got a couple of prongs here that I think would make college basketball great again. And so as the West Coast wakes up, I'm going to tell you what you could do. Number one, my number one rule for how to make college basketball great again would be we've got to change this one-and-done rule. The one-and-done rule, I believe, has made a mockery of college football. College football. College basketball. And I understand the well-intentioned goal of the one-and-done rule. It was that David Stern decided, you know what? We need to send the message that education is important. And instead of guys like LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Amari Stoudemire, Tracy McGrady, Tyson Chandler, Kwame Brown, all coming straight to the league at 18 years old and being the top overall draft picks and sending a message out there to the youth of America that you can go straight from high school to the NBA, even if there were really only eight or nine kids at most every year who had a decision like this to make, that we need to send a message that the goal of high school is not to prepare you for the NBA, it's to prepare you for college. So we need guys to go to college for at least one year. Moreover, while they're in college, these guys will create brands for themselves, which when they get drafted into the NBA will translate well to our sport. Now, here's the problem with the NBA draft in general now. I used to love watching the NBA draft. You know, last year, only half of the players that were being drafted into the NBA were American players. The other half were from foreign countries. Now, I don't have a problem with that. That's a a function of the fact that basketball has become a global sport, second only to soccer in terms of its worldwide popularity. But it means that for a lot of people who sit around and watch the NBA draft, you literally have no idea what players are being drafted unless you're such a draftnik that you're sitting around watching grainy film from Yugoslavia of some Slavic wonder kid who's playing basketball overseas at 17 years old. It's just a function of the reality that basketball now is not primarily being funneled by American colleges. There are a lot of people who never step foot in America that end up drafted and become NBA stars. And that's what happens in a global sports league, and there's nothing wrong with it. But I believe what has happened is, because of the NBA's age restriction rules, you send guys off to college for one year, your average college football fan, a college basketball fan out there, watches the NCAA tournament, 
gets interested in a player, and then poof, they're gone. And so the next year, they have to entirely refamiliarize themselves with all the players. That's why Grayson Allen, even though he's nowhere near the best player in college basketball, is so, so well-known right now. Because at least he's been at Duke for three years. And at least as a fan, you feel like you have a connection in some form or fashion with Grayson Allen. Now, has he been overcovered for the tripping incidents? Yes. Has he been turned into a, a social pariah because he's a white Duke basketball player? Yes. But also, he's one of the few players who's actually been on the national stage for three years such that we all can know them. Every year now, Kentucky rolls in new players, and by the time it's March, you're like, wait a minute, I don't even know these guys, and then a new class is in, and you don't even have time to get adjusted to them. Now that also the one and done has trickled down to Duke. There are lots of different players at UCLA. Lonzo Ball is an exciting player. He's fantastic to watch, but he's going to be gone. He's going to be gone. He's going to be making a billion dollars, according to his dad, off a sneaker contract. So what I would do is I would embrace and adopt the Major League Baseball rule. I think Major League Baseball has the best rule of all sports when it comes to the way that we make players draft eligible. And if you're not familiar with it, the Major League Baseball rule is simple. You can go into the draft in Major League Baseball. You can get drafted. You can then negotiate and figure out what your total value is as an 18-year-old. And then if you don't like the offer from the team that drafts you, you can go to college. But once you enroll in college, you have to stay for three years, and then at the end of three years, you can come out again. So I would allow all 18-year-olds, if they want to go pro in basketball, this, if I were the head of the NBA Players Association and I were doing the collective bargaining agreement and I wanted to help make college basketball better, here's what I would suggest. At 18 years old, you can go pro. If you get drafted, you negotiate. You don't even need to negotiate because the salaries are slotted in the NBA. You would know exactly what you were going to make. And you would know that only as a first-round pick would you have a guaranteed contract. So if you decide to go pro at 18 and sign with an NBA team, you can go right in. I'm a, I'm a capitalist. I believe in markets. If you have the talent to play at 18, then I think you should be able to do it. You might fail, but people fail every day in this country. This is the great thing about America is our embrace of creative destruction. Every day new companies get filed, get, get created, get created through filed LLCs, everything else, and every day tons of American companies go bankrupt. That's what creative destruction is. Unlike a lot of other countries, we don't allow companies that are being unsuccessful to continue to exist forever in perpetuity. We want creative dynamicism. We want new companies constantly coming into the process and moving their way through. Same thing happens with athletes. At 18, you might turn into the next LeBron or Kobe, or you might turn into, I don't know, Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown didn't have an awful career. He made tens of millions of dollars. He just didn't turn into a superstar. That's life. If we are willing at 18 years old to give guys guns and say, go overseas and get shot at as you go try to fight terrorists, then I'm perfectly fine with saying to an 18-year-old, here's a basketball, go try to make a living on the basketball court. And if you fail, you can still go to college, you can still do whatever else, you'll just have a lot of money. But if you don't go pro at 18, you go to college basketball and you have to stay for three years. That would be immeasurably valuable to college basketball because you get to know all the players, they would develop. Coaches would know that they have guys for multiple years. They'd be able to better recruit. It would make the cohesiveness of the teams better. It would make the quality of the play better. And it would make overall college basketball return, I think, to a large part of the primacy 
of our sporting calendar. Here's number two. It is beyond stupid that college basketball insists on starting its schedule in November. College basketball players have the lowest graduation rates of any athletes on college campuses. I think a big reason why is because they insist on this idiotic schedule that requires college basketball players to take their fall semester classes and exams while playing basketball and then also do the same for the spring semester. What I would implement is a new schedule for college basketball that requires college basketball to start its season on the Tuesday after college football ends. Because sooner or later, the NFL is going to extend the NFL season all the way to President's Day weekend. And they're going to play the Super Bowl on the Sunday before that Monday holiday of President's Day. And the Super Bowl is going to become even more of a national holiday than it already is. And that's going to extend the NFL season to almost the end of February. And that would mean that college basketball is competing for almost its entire calendar with football and just getting destroyed by the football audiences for college football in the NFL. So if you start college basketball this Tuesday after college football ends, then you could go all the way to May. Instead of March Madness, you have May Madness, and everybody is infinitely happier with the overall product that's on the court. I think that would make tremendous sense. That's my plan to make college basketball great again. We took some calls on this earlier. You can uh, dive in if you would like, 877-996-6369. I also, we come out of this next segment, I'm going to dive back into this Andre Iguodala story because the more I think about it, the more I think it is an important story that isn't getting enough attention. Effectively, Andre Iguodala called Steve Kerr a slave master. We're going to play that audio for you. He's been fined $10,000 for it. The Warriors, it appears to me, are a team that is on the edge. They almost lost to the 76ers at home last night. They had to come back from a double-digit deficit. But I'm going to ask you a question, I want you to think about it. If we are now penalizing speech in the NBA, and I don't think there's any doubt that we are, because you can look at Donald Sterling, and if we're saying that racist speech is unacceptable, Why did Donald Sterling have to sell his entire NBA franchise, the L.A. Clippers, for his racist comments that were illegally recorded by a girlfriend that were made outside of the public arena that were then publicized by TMZ? But Andre Iguodala makes racist statements directly to the media, directly attacking his own coach, Steve Kerr, and all he gets is a $10,000 fine. I'm diving into this question, but I want you to let that hang in your mind. Think about it. Why is Donald Sterling being treated so much differently than Andre Iguodala? There's the obvious difference of the fact that one guy is a team owner and one guy is a player, and I can accept that. But there's also the obvious difference that Andre Iguodala's statements were intentionally made for the media in a post-game press conference, whereas Sterling's comments were illegally recorded and made in a private conversation with his girlfriend. Yet Sterling is forced to sell his NBA franchise and kicked out of the league, and Andre Iguodala just gets a $10,000 fine, which when you're making over $11 million a year, is basically the equivalent of having to pay for his own lunch. I want your calls on this. I want you to react. I'm going to let you hear my argument and then you'll be able to dive in. 877-996-6369. I am Clay Travis, trying to make college basketball great again, and also 
make a lot less people total pussy willows. It's what we do on this show, on OutKick, on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Let's see what I'm supposed to do here. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Trying to make college basketball great, but I also want to go back into the Andre Iguodala comments. And let's play what we played for you yesterday. This is what initially caused the uproar and the furor. It was after their, before their game against the San Antonio Spurs, Andre Iguodala came out and commented on the fact that he was not going to be playing in that game. He's since been fined $10,000 for this, but this is what he told a scrum of reporters standing around his locker. Was it planned that you guys would take tomorrow? You would take tomorrow's off game off? Is that what you planned? We taking tomorrow? You, Steph, Drake, and Clay. Nope, no clue. Do what Master say. Is there anything, anything else? Um, what we done to say? Um, just play harder. Figure it out. Change gonna come. I know what we should say. Change gonna come. All right, so he's comparing himself to a slave, and I think he's calling Steve Kerr a slave master there. We're gonna play audio where he denies that he's calling Steve Kerr a slave master. He's been fined $10,000 for those comments. And first of all, reacting to those comments, and I didn't say this yesterday, there is a trend here where usually it's black athletes, almost always, because if white athletes said it, it would be racist. They come out and try to compare their situation to slavery, where Andre Iguodala makes $11.1 million a year. And the comparison to slavery makes zero sense because Andre Iguodala makes $11.1 million a year to work as an employee. And when you work as an employee, you don't have a slave master, you have a boss. And if you choose not to work for that boss, you can quit and go find a new job. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when you were a slave, you could not just say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm going to go and do something else now. That's the entire point of being a slave. You are obligated to work for whoever owns you for the rest of your life. So Andre Iguodala has a job. Master's not telling you anything. Your boss is telling you something, that you're not going to play in a game. In fact, your boss is telling you not only that you're not going to have to work as much or as hard as you probably should, like the Jordan-era Bulls did, that you're going to actually have to work not as much. Now, Andre Iguodala was fined $10,000 for calling what I believe is Steve Kerr a slave master, but both of these guys tried to explain the comments further. Let's hear Iguodala first, and then we'll hear Kerr. And you heard those comments yourself. I mean, he's clearly saying that somebody in a position of power, i.e. Steve Kerr, because he's reacting to the fact that he's not going to be playing in the game, is the master, right? Clearly. Now he's saying that's not the case. Here's Andre Iguodala. I have a great relationship with Steve Kerr, and he knows that. And he spoke to you guys about it. But even his words still may not be, someone still may not believe him. But he and I are in a great place. We don't even have to speak about it because he knew that uh, no way, shape, or form was I talking about him. Okay, no way, shape, or form. So who's he talking about? There's some possibility that some people are saying Adam Silver. I don't buy it. Adam Silver is the NBA commissioner. Could be the owner of the Golden State Warriors that he's talking about. Either way, those are two white guys. So he's still calling a white guy a slave master somewhere. Either Steve Kerr, the owner of the Warriors, or he's calling uh, the NBA commissioner, David Stern, not David Stern, Adam Silver, who replaced David Stern, a slave master as well. Okay, let's go to what Steve Kerr had to say. First of all, he wasn't talking about me. You know, he and I have talked, and that'll remain private. I wasn't the slightest bit offended. You know, as I mentioned the other night, he's got a very cryptic sense of humor. Um, 
The only thing I would say is uh, there's certain humorous things you should say in the sanctity of the locker room and certain <laughs> humorous things you might want to keep from, from the media. And that was one of them, and he knows that. Now, the problem with that is that Andre Iguodala has not said that he was joking. In fact, he had an opportunity to say, yeah, it was a joke and I just messed up, and he didn't say that. So it's got me thinking. If the NBA is now in the business of punishing racist speech, and there's no doubt that they are, how is it that Andre Iguodala only gets fined $10,000 for calling a white man, whether it's Steve Kerr, the owner of the Warriors, or Adam Silver, a slave master, yet Donald Sterling, in a privately recorded illegally recorded, I believe, under California law, recording, makes racist comments, and Adam Silver comes out and says, this is unacceptable. This guy has to no longer be an owner in the NBA. If you're combating racist speech, isn't there a big difference between a $10,000 fine, which is on an $11.1 million salary, about the equivalent of having to pay for a lunch ticket, and Donald Sterling being forced to sell his NBA team especially when you consider that Andre Iguodala was talking intentionally to the press and that Donald Sterling was illegally recorded by his girlfriend who was trying to blackmail him. Think about it. What is the distinction there? One is private, one is public. Now, you can argue, okay, Donald Sterling is an owner, and so his standards should be higher than a player. But specifically, Adam Silver, when he said that Donald Sterling was going to be taken, have his team taken away from him, that everybody was going to be held to the same standard. NBA employees, players, and owners were all going to be held to the same standard. Is this really holding Andre Iguodala to the same standard when you're only fining him $10,000? Now, again, if Iguodala had come out immediately after this the next day and he had said, I was joking, that was a dumb comment, it was a joke that didn't get picked up the way that I thought it was, then I would have been fine with it. But all of his comments subsequent to that did not have to do with anything about him joking. He meant what he said. He was calling somebody a slave master. I think he was calling Steve Kerr a slave master, and then he tried to shift the target. And so the target got either shifted to the owner of the Warriors based on this conversation, or or it got shifted to Adam Silver, who's the commissioner of the league and who he would theoretically be upset about having made that decision on the schedule. I just can't believe that Andre Iguodala is only getting fined $10,000 here after Adam Silver made such a big deal about how racism wouldn't be tolerated in the NBA. I think it's fair to say Adam Silver is not a slave master. I think it's fair to say Steve Kerr is not a slave master. I think it's fair to say the Warriors owner is probably not a slave master. Yet Andre Iguodala called him one. That's racist commentary directed in, straight at maligning all three of those guys that are white. He wouldn't have said that about a black guy. So why is Andre Iguodala only getting a $10,000 fine? Your calls, 877-996-6369. Jason Martin, you with me here? Yeah, for the most part. Um, $10,000 is nothing. We agree that 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 fine is nothing. Yeah, I look at it and I think about it on the other terms. And as a conservative, when I'm immediately targeted and called something, uh, you know, I don't want that to go the other way either. Like, I've tried to parse these words and try to figure out what else he's trying to say as well. I can buy that it's about Adam Silver and the schedule only because every single Golden State Warrior has been so open about how bad this schedule is, including the coach. I agree that they're not happy about that, but when you listen to that audio, listen to that audio one more time. Here's what Andre Iguodala got in trouble for. I want you to listen to it closely. He's clearly saying 
in response to the fact that he's not playing, that's what Master says, right? So who's making the decision that he's not playing? He's not commenting on the schedule. Again, listen to it. Listen to it. He may say that he's not talking about Steve Kerr, but I think it's clear based on this audio that he is. Listen. Was it planned that you, would, you guys would take tomorrow? You would take tomorrow's off the game off? Is that what you planned? We taking tomorrow? You, Steph, Dre? Uh, nope, no clue. We'll do what Master say. Is there anything, anything else? Um, what would Dunn say? Uh, just play harder. Figure it out. Change gonna come. Ain't that what we should say? Change gonna come. He said no clue. He said he had no clue about what was going on in terms of not playing in the games. And then he said that's what Master say. So who made the decision that he was not going to play in the game? It wasn't Adam Silver. It wasn't the owner of the Warriors. It was Steve Kerr. He was talking about Steve Kerr. So he's lying now when he's saying he's not talking about Steve Kerr, probably because he felt bad about what he said. But he didn't say that. He and Steve Kerr both said he's not talking about them. Anyway, I want your calls. I want your reaction. Why is Andre Iguodala only getting fined $10,000 when he's guilty of making racist comments about another NBA player, coach, or commissioner? It makes no sense. 877-996-6369. We got a clear double standard at play. Andre Iguodala is benefiting from being a black guy, and Donald Sterling didn't have that benefit when he was a Jewish guy. Both of them made racist comments. Why is one guy a pariah and he has to get kicked out of the league and the other guy just gets fined $10,000 and hardly any attention at all has been paid to these comments? Think about it. 877-996-6369. Let's find out now what's trending. Welcome back to the Fox Sports Radio studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And everybody listen up carefully. I want you to be alive tomorrow morning when I'm live from Las Vegas, all right? Listen, if you think a train will stop if it sees your car on the tracks, you're right, it will about a mile after it hits you. Stop. Trains can't. All right, loaded lines, I believe. I will now go to your calls, and we will begin with a guy who loves to call me racist, G-Dub in Cincinnati. What's racist about my opinion today, G-Dub? I didn't call you racist yesterday, Clay. What do you think? Am I <laughs> racist I love, here? I love, you. I love how you try to play the white male victim role. But, hey, like I told you, Clay, when I first started calling you, I'm the Neo to your uh, conservative matrix. I'm here to break you down, dunk on you every single time. You're my personal Frederick Weiss, and I'm Vince Carter. So, uh-huh. no, All right, I'm so don't actually, make your attempt. I think you're going to come no, up actually, short of the rim. You're going to no, take no, off, actually, and you're, you're going to pin yourself actually, right on the rim. But uh, the biggest difference between uh, uh, Andre Iguodala and Donald Sterling is, quite honestly, and you mentioned this at the very beginning, he's an owner, Iguodala is a player. Donald Sterling would do mass damage to the NBA brand and uh, its customer base, which, quite honestly, is some of the people that Donald Sterling wanted to keep out of, the, uh, out of, out of his arena. Uh, the fact that Steve Kerr, quite honestly, said that he wasn't offended by it, uh, and, you know, I appreciate you taking up the mantle for aggrieved white men in the world, uh, Clay. But Steve Kerr knew exactly what Andre Iguodala was saying. I what was he saying yesterday. then? 
What do you think he was saying? Uh, like I said, there was an inside joke between those two. He said that the joke didn't come across well, and it didn't because you're on it, and rightfully so. But uh, he tweeted this like hours after he made this comment. You but then he gave. But then make- we, no, no. I went and read all of his comments that he made to the media the next day because I said I, I so tweeted I the same thing. I said. No, I no, I'm not going to allow a guy to send a tweet and say, oh, it was oh, a joke, okay. and then talk when you say – no, when you say a thousand words explaining your, your intent of the, of the comment, I actually tweeted. I said, if this is a joke, I'm just going to let it go. People make bad jokes. It's not a big deal. He had an opportunity to come when he talked to the media and say it was a joke and that there was no truth to it and that it was everything about that, and he didn't do it the next day. Well, well, let me, and then he well, only well, got fined. Why did he only get fined $10,000? I mean, you admit well, ten thousand dollars is a normal fine nothing. because actually, I think that's a normal fine. If you remember, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal was fined, I believe, that much, maybe a little bit more, for using the f bomb uh, during a live interview with TNT. But there's a so, big difference uh, between cursing in a live interview and calling right. somebody a slave but, master. But, but Clay, what, what you you seem to be getting wrong, and again, you've become the Kellyanne uh, of uh, Sports Talk Radio, that he wasn't fine because of the slave master or not even the master comment. He was fine because of the N-word comment that was part of the interview. Yeah, which is, making my, which is making my point. He called a white guy a slave master and didn't even no, get in trouble for didn't. it. Actually, he didn't call a white guy a slave master. Steve Kerr didn't take it that way. But ironically, people on the right like you, Clay, took it that way. So maybe this we need is, to find out what's your major malfunction. I'm directing. Let's let's play his audio again. Put G-Dub down yeah. for a sec. Listen to this. Listen to this audio. Was it planned that you guys would take tomorrow? You would take tomorrow's off? Is that what you planned? We taking tomorrow? You, Steph, what? Uh, nope, no clue. Nope. Do what Master say. Is there anything, anything else? Um, what would dumb say? Um, just play harder. Figure it out. Change gonna come. Ain't know what we should say. Change gonna come. All right. So in this situation, let's put it in your context. Take it. Take it out of the basketball situation. If you found out that your boss was requiring you to do something that you didn't know you were going to do before, and in this situation, right. he's actually requiring him to work less, and then right. you said in response, well, that's what, uh, you know, master, whatever master say, basically. Right. Puppet master, slave master. We, slave we master. Don't know. And then like, you also like gorilla. Th- then you also it's like Doug went. Doug Adler in the gorilla. We don't know if he meant gorilla in the mist, gorilla in the jungle, or gorilla tactics, right, Clay? There's all no, types of not, angles that we can use this. That's right? not because at all. When you, no, hold on. G Dub. When he then said that he used like old slave language there, like in immediately after that you're saying he got fined for, it's clear when you use the term massa, like he did basically, you're talking about a slave master. There's no way that it's any other master. What master say. I mean, but again, Clay, if Steve Kerr didn't take offense to it, and he's a white guy, and the comments were directed towards him, and we knew that there's an obvious difference between a player and an owner, it's not because Andre Iguodala's white and I mean, black and Donald Sterling's a Jew. How did you even bring the Jewish angle into it? Because Donald Sterling is Jewish. <laughs> so I'm going to hang, hang up on G-Dub now because he's just kind of running around in circles here. The point is pretty clear. The point is pretty clear. If J.J. Redick had made any comments about slavery, he would be in trouble. If Steve Kerr had come out and said, after a bad game, we're going to have to get the cat of nine tails out, we're going to have to all go pick cotton, if he had made a slave reference in reference to his team, 
he would never work again. And everybody would be up in arms. So why is Andre Iguodala being held to an entirely different standard where all that happens to him is he gets a $10,000 fine? Somebody makes sense of it. G-Dub couldn't make sense of it at all. He was just running around in circles. If your standard in the NBA is set by Donald Sterling, and Adam Silver came out very aggressively and said it, he said very clearly that in that situation, racism was not going to be tolerated. And so not tolerated that we were going to take a guy's team and force him to sell it in L.A. And if that is your standard, a privately recorded racist conversation is going to not qualify you anymore to own an NBA team, then how can Andre Iguodala's public comments to the media, which are racist and which paint his coach as a slave master, even though he later denied it, how is he only fined $10,000 for it? And I will say this about G-Dub. I think that it's possible that Andre Iguodala is only being fined because he used the N-bomb in public and not because he called Steve Kerr a slave master, meaning that Andre Iguodala has the complete license in the NBA to be racist and have absolutely no punishment for it, whereas if Steve Kerr had said anything remotely like this, he would be fired probably before he even hardly finished the press conference, and he probably would never be able to coach in the NBA again. How is that fair? How is that an even standard that's being applied? Somebody justify it. 877-996-6369. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Donald Trump's newest feuding partner, Snoop Dogg, live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Enter the AutoZone, rev up your refund, instant win game, and sweepstakes for a chance to win $30,000 or other prizes. No purchase necessary. Ends 41717. Must be 18 plus. Visit AutoZoneTaxTime.com. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So it was just a joke, right? Well, here's what Andre Iguodala had to say with the press as he explained his comments when he called Steve Kerr a slave master. It probably was the wrong time to, to, to express myself, you know, but uh, that's, you know, we all have our own opinions, we all have our own feelings, and I feel like uh, we are entitled to them. It's just, I feel like it's the wrong time because it puts my team in that situation and my coaching staff in that situation. Oh, be pretty easy to just say it's a joke, right? It wasn't a joke. Gerald in Oakland, what's up? Yeah, uh, I took it as if he was speaking on the powers that be that made the insanity tour. <laughs> You're wrong, though. It. It does, it, but, you can take it that way, and I think that's the way they tried to spin it because he doesn't want to create this idea that there's drama in the locker room, and he recognizes that he was speaking out incorrectly, and he may well like Steve Kerr. And if he had just said, I was joking, it was a dumb joke to make, then I would have yeah. yeah. cleared it up immediately. Yeah. And then you don't need to spend all this time. And he spent a thousand words trying to explain himself when all he had to say was, look, it was a joke. I shouldn't have said it. It was probably dumb, but that's the way that I was responding. Um, I yeah. wish that Steve Kerr had told me face-to-face that I wasn't going to start in the game and I hadn't found out from the media. If that was, and if I that's, think he, he, he barked up the wrong tree. For one, you shouldn't get mad at your coach. He's trying to protect him. Yeah. This is but but here's the thing. Get mad. You the players are the ones that voted on this in this the CBA agreement. You guys voted this. So it's not on the coach. Yeah. 
No, it's a good point. Thanks for the call. Uh, Scooby in California. What's up, Scooby? I'm going to try to get all your calls in, so I'm going fast here, final segment of the show. Scooby, what's up? What's going on? I'm listening to your station for the first time, but I have to wonder if everybody can just think that you got to remember who's been in the league for a long time. This young man been in the league for about 11 years. Now, if it was Draymond Green, he would have got fined more. Or it was Perk Cousin, somebody like that. He's been in the league, haven't did anything, so they only fined him 10000 What but, Scooby, Scooby, what would have happened if Steve Kerr had said, I'm going to have to get the whip out in order for our team to play better? Well, I mean, he probably would have got, he would have got the fine, but he wouldn't have got kicked out the league because then they, we'd be doing this, what is referring to the whip. And then you got to think about the All right, what if he had the- said, what if he had said, how about we're going to have to go out and do a better job picking cotton, and I'm going to whip some dudes if they don't do a good enough job? And it's the word you, and it's the way you word it. Now, just for what you're saying, it's the way you word it because there's been a lot of sayings in the league that people will say, but they word it different. But you can read through the lines, and that's what it is. And we're gonna have this for the rest of our lives because it's just like how it is. People gonna say stupid comments, they gonna say joking comments, but it's how we take it as humans in order to really like, what are we saying? But it's going to be there, and, and you've been doing this for years. You didn't heard everything, and you and this ain't going to be the last thing you're going to hear. No, so. I think, I thanks for the call. Steve Kerr would get fired immediately. If Steve Kerr had said something that made him sound like a slave master, which is what Andre Iguodala called him, he called him a slave master. One of the dumbest things G-Dub has ever said on the show is, he was calling him a puppet master. That's what Masta says. He said it in the old dialect of slavery it's clear as night and day what Andre Iguodala intended gotta just dunk on G-Dub here put my balls in his face Scotty Pippen style he's Patrick Ewing he's falling back sweat dripping all over his face he's got dunked on I feel bad for him it's a really bad argument Fred in LA what's up Fred how's it going Greg morning hey good morning how are you excellent doing well doing well same you know i just wondering why you're beating this horse, man. I mean, you're really on it. You've been on it since I got on the radio. And I just, I'm just, you can't compare Sterling and Iguodala. You can't. I, don't, I think you can 100% because if the NBA's goal is we're not going to allow figures associated with our league to make racist comments, Andre Iguodala calling Steve Kerr a slave master is a racist comment. There's not a white person Correct. out there right now that would like for a black person to publicly call him a slave master. That's a racist comment, right. especially when he's not in any way <laughs> racist about Steve Kerr. So if you're going to allow that, then how can you allow that standard which you set forth and said we're not going to be a league that allows racist comments to exist? It's a clearly racist comment. Okay, but is it, hasn't there, wasn't there many documented incidents of, of, of Sterling you know, making yes, but the and, and that's a good that's a good point. Thanks for the call. I'm trying to get everybody in. Yes, but the NBA specifically never took action against Donald Sterling for anything that they had done before. They allowed everything else that had ever happened in Donald Sterling's career to be okay. They fired him basically from the league, forced him to sell the team because of these comments, not because of a litany of other comments. And again, I'm not saying that Andre Iguodala needs to get kicked out of the league. But I'm saying the difference between these treatments. On the one hand, you're no longer allowed to own a team because you made racist comments. And it was, again, in a private conversation that was secretly recorded that violated California law. It's not as if Donald Sterling did it in a public press conference like Andre Iguodala did. 
Andre Iguodala does the exact same thing from a racist perspective. He says something racist, and he gets fined $10,000, which for a guy who's making $11 million a year is nothing. Uh, Ulysses in Atlanta. What's up, Ulysses? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Clay, 90, 95% of it, but the, the problem is public perception. All right, so they got Iguodala right, but they got Sterling wrong. He shouldn't have been kicked out of the league. But didn't enough people get mad about what Iguodala has said? It's the same way with Ray Rice. When Ray Rice, the NFL, looked at him, they knew all the evidence. They gave him four days, I mean, four games uh, suspension. But when everybody seen it and everybody got pissed off, they kicked him out of the league. If it's not enough people mad about Iguodala, the $10,000 fine is going to be, it's going to stay, and everybody's going to move on. There was enough people pissed off about Sterling that they felt like they had to kick him out, and I think they got it wrong. You know what? That's a really good point. I think a lot of times, and I appreciate the call you, I think a lot of times in this day and age, our punishments are not reflective of what we actually do. They're reflective of how many people claim to care what we actually do. You got a decent uh, decent point, Jason Martin, here. You're, you just uh, shot me a line. Uh, you're talking about, I mean, there was so much more criticism publicly of Phil Jackson for using the term posse, which isn't racist at all than there has been for Andre Iguodala using the term slave master to describe Steve Kerr. There's zero doubt about that. No matter who you're a fan of right now, you're driving around in your car, you have to acknowledge that that's the case, right? Zero doubt. Yeah, Phil, I mean, posse is nothing compared to slave massa, and it was massa, by the way. I like GW, but he's wrong. It was massa. He did not say master. We can play the audio 500 times over, and massa does have a connotation to it in that that, uh, phraseology, but... In terms of Phil and the way that that was responded to and how so many people wrote column after column after column saying that Phil needed to apologize and needed to take sensitivity training and all this, the columns that you're reading about Andre Iguodala right now are the exact opposite. They're doing everything possible to make this a non-story. Even though they're writing a bunch of words about it, they're doing it to try and help Andre Iguodala out as opposed to what they did to Phil Jackson. Uh, let's go. Last call. I wanted to get everybody in here who was lined up. Ron in North Carolina. Ron, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Excellent. Um, yeah, um, I would like to comment on that. Uh, number one is the intent, specifically, and because... Yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, we lost, we uh, lost Ron there. We lost Ron there. So, uh, bad end to callers. You guys, by the way, callers have been stepping their game up. Twitter still active at Clay Travis. We've got a bracket challenge up. The last thing I tweeted, I believe, was the bracket challenge. Go check it out. Sign up. You can win. If you win, you get to come on as a guest and strut across the stage. I will be live in Las Vegas tomorrow for the start of the NCAA tournament. We will hopefully make you some money with and more on tomorrow's show. Thank you, as always, for coming and hanging out with us, starting your day here on Fox Sports Radio without kick the coverage. Once more, live in Vegas, fingers crossed, let's make some money as the NCAA tournament tip-off officially moves closer and closer. Thanks to Danny G. Thanks to Robert. Thanks to J-Mart. And thanks to callers. I'm Clay Travis. You've been listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
Arts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.